Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, and hath redeemed us to God by his blood to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. If you have eighth notes dancing through your mind right now, you might be a choral musician. It's the last movement of Handel's Messiah. The year after college, I was part of a choir of a dozen voices that did a three-hour unabridged performance of Handel's Messiah with a Baroque orchestra in Atlanta, Georgia. And the sound was terrific, nimble and dance-like, with quick tempos and the kind of clarity of tone that you only get from a small ensemble. It was one of the great choral performances I've ever been involved in. And I happen to love the trend that's happened in the last 50 years or so, which is toward doing music from this era with smaller ensembles and with period instruments of the kind that Handel himself would have known. It makes the music crackle and come alive. But for this last movement, I also wonder if there's something to be said for the way they used to do Messiah 60 or 70 years ago. I have a recording of Leonard Bernstein doing Messiah with the New York Philharmonic sometime in the 1950s. With a choir, it sounds like of about 200 people. And they're singing with full vibrato, just bellowing at the top of their voices. It's this kind of colossal wall of sound. Absolutely un-Baroque, if you're into that kind of thing. But it's pretty majestic. It was huge. And that's something like what I imagine in the scene from today's reading from Revelation. It says, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels around God's throne start by singing these words. And then in the next line, more come in. In fact, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth joins in. Talk about a wall of sound. Everyone and everything in all creation. Human beings, angels, lobsters, comets, who knows? Absolute abundance. Like a miraculous catch of fish straining the nets. All God's people, all God's creation gathered in praise. And what they're praising is a lamb. A lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. It's a few verses before the start of today's reading from Revelation that that lamb is introduced. And spoiler alert, it's Jesus. (laughs) The lamb is Jesus. But the way that the lamb is introduced, John, the author of the book, writes, I saw a lamb standing as if it had been slain. Which, if you think about it, is one of the strangest sentences ever written. How does a lamb stand when it has been slain? We are in the realm of deep metaphor and symbol, words straining to express the inexpressible. A lamb that has been slaughtered and yet lives and yet stands. 
one who has died and whose wounds are still visible, and yet who lives and reigns forever. That triumphant lamb is a symbol of Easter. It's right here on this set of vestments. And Jesus is a lamb also because the lamb is a symbol of Passover, of course, which after all is simply what Easter is. Easter is nothing other than Passover. Passover as it was celebrated by Jesus' first followers who were Jewish but who came to the Passover every year and found it forever transformed for them because of what had happened at Passover, because of a crucifixion, and even more because of a resurrection. And so the festival of liberation from slavery became also the festival of liberation even from death and evil itself. In light of the resurrection, they could look back at the death of Jesus and see not just a butchery, but see it as an act of sacrifice. See it as in continuity with the Passover sacrifice, that ancient act by which the Hebrew children were spared. An act by which an innocent gave himself up on behalf of others so that they might live. And so Jesus became the Lamb of God. There's nothing good about a tragic death. But sometimes there are goods to be found even in the middle of tragedy. There are deaths that end all hope. And there is hope that can burn bright in every circumstance, even in death. And that's the hope that those first followers of Jesus discovered. And they found that this risen life that the Lamb of God gave them was enough to sustain them through persecution and through suffering and even through their own deaths. Some of them ended up following Jesus on that path of martyrdom. We heard about two of them today in our scripture readings. Saul, Peter. As Ananias prays, trying to remind Jesus that this Saul is not a good choice for a disciple. Jesus says to Ananias, he will see how much he himself will suffer for my name. A hint at what's to come, a hint that Saul, or as he's known in his Roman name, Paul, will go on himself to die for Jesus. And we get another similar hint in the gospel reading where Peter as Peter professes his love for Jesus. And of course, with this triple profession of love, Peter is undoing his triple betrayal on the night that Jesus was handed over to death when Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus rehabilitates him. Jesus brings him back into the fold. And then he tells him that Peter will one day be bound and led where he doesn't want to go foreshadowing the kind of death by which Peter, it says, will glorify God. So today we have not just the praise of the Lamb in heaven, but the discipleship of his friends on earth. And in the centuries since then, there have been many other martyrs, friends of the Lamb who were called on to show that same courage, that same obedience, that same faith. 
But it's not only the martyrs who are friends of the Lamb. In our scripture stories today, we also met characters who were called to walk a different path. We met Ananias, this disciple who only appears here in this story and then disappears out of the pages of scripture. Not particularly famous, yet profoundly faithful, who plays his part in bringing Paul to Christ. And in Peter's story, we have the other disciples, those who are with him in the boat, who don't jump out with him and swim back to shore, but who do the steady, faithful work of hauling back the catch of fish. And we have that mysterious disciple that the book just calls the one Jesus loved. Tradition has it that that's the Apostle John, and that he lived to a very old age before dying in the peace of Christ. Sometimes he's said to have had a bloodless martyrdom, the willingness to follow Jesus, and to give up whatever's necessary to follow in his path, but without having actually come to a violent death. Most of us will be called to walk a path more like Ananias, or more like the beloved disciple. Not a path that comes to one dramatic moment of climax where we are called on to give up everything for love of Jesus, but more of a long path of faith that meanders and winds where we're faced along the way with countless smaller decision points. Decisions around whether to love our neighbors or whether to make use of them. Decisions around whether we're called to grow closer to God or whether we'll let ourselves grow farther away. Still today, we have those who are called to martyrdom. And we have those who are called to lead the long, slow life of faithfulness. Back in 1965, a group of activists in Lowndes County, Alabama, a mixed group of white and black folks, were arrested for protesting the segregated shops. And they were thrown into jail for six days and then let out, but with no transportation. And so as they sat outside the jail, having called for some friends to pick them up, four of them walked over to a nearby store to buy a soft drink. On the steps of the store, they encountered a white county deputy named Tom Coleman. He started yelling threats at them. Then he raised up his shotgun. He pointed it at Ruby Sales, who was a young black woman, 17 years old. Just before he squeezed the trigger, another member of the group, Jonathan Daniels, pushed Ruby Sales out of the way. Coleman fired, and Jonathan Daniels died almost instantly. He was 26, a white Episcopal seminarian. Today, Jonathan Daniels is recognized as a martyr on the Episcopal Church's calendar and celebrated with a feast day. His path took him to one dramatic moment when he was called on to glorify God by following the path of the Lamb who was slain. Ruby Sales lived on that day.
For about seven months, she almost lost the ability to speak, traumatized by the experience she'd endured. But she was determined to testify at Tom Coleman's murder trial. She did, but he was still acquitted by an all-white jury. Ruby Sales continued to live her life. She went to graduate school and became a historian, then an educator and a nonprofit director. She led organizations doing activism to support women and to support black women. And then in the 1990s, she went back to school again, this time to the Episcopal Divinity School in Massachusetts, the same seminary where Jonathan Daniels had been a student. She got a master's in theology and became a public theologian. In 2000, she launched a nonprofit in Atlanta called Spirit House, a group that brings people together towards social justice through art and education events and spirituality. She was involved in the founding of the Black Lives Matter movement. There's a remarkable interview with her that you can listen to online from 2016 with Krista Tippett of National Public Radio. And I want to read you just a part of her response where she's asked about the role of anger in activism. She says, love is not antithetical to being outraged. Love is not antithetical to anger. There's redemptive anger and there's non-redemptive anger. I became involved in the Southern Freedom Movement not merely because I was angry about injustice, but because I love the idea of justice. You can't talk about injustice without talking about suffering. But the reason why I want to have justice is because I love everybody in my heart. And if I didn't have that feeling, that sense, then there would be no struggle. Ruby Sales was called to the struggle. Not to the moment, to the martyrdom of blood, but to the long, steady path of faithfulness. And so will most of us be. May we make the choices every day, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that help us to be friends of the Lamb. And may the Lamb who was slain Keep us forever on that path as we hear his words to us too. Follow me.